you know, when you when you look at a uh, <clears throat> a harmony of the gospels in terms of the 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 places and the times and the events, because you have four different gospel writers writing from different perspectives, they don't all deal with the same thing. Plus, the gospels were not published they weren't written until a decade or so after uh christ was resurrected and so uh you can understand that some of the writers took some literary license for instance tonight we'll talk about jesus uh chasing the money changers out of the temple well john dealt with that in chapter two uh, and the other three dealt with it uh, during the Passion Week. Um, same with the anointing uh, that we talked about Sunday morning. Uh, Luke dealt with it in Luke chapter 7, and the details are so different that it leads us to believe that there were two different women who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. So we don't get upset about any of that. It's, it's four guys telling the stories. And God is in charge of weaving the stories they have held together for thousands of years. Uh, it is the most remarkably preserved document in the world. It has more uh, literary integrity than Socrates, Plato. We know more about Jesus than we know about George Washington. Because God took it upon the writers to preserve the stories and the details but we always remember, and, and the way you can remember it is that it's a word play. It's history, but you spell it H-I-S dash story. Because it's not supposed to be a dates and times. It's his story. And, and, and in that, we are preserved with the details uh, that we need. Okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 19. Our destination this week is the temple. And I need, um, all right, a little bit of uh, audience participation here. Can anybody remember back through Jesus's life, all of the times that the temple in Jerusalem, now Jesus didn't live in Jerusalem, remember? He lived in Nazareth. Uh, he, he was born in Bethlehem. But the temple in Jerusalem was a pretty important deal. And so just as a sort of a preview, think back through all of the things that we know about where Jesus had interactions in the temple in Jerusalem. The first thing was when his parents couldn't find him and he was back. Way before that. Oh, really? Way <laughs> before that. I was so sure I got it. Was it when he was dedicated? Way before that. Okay. Zechariah oh. predicted his birth well, that's while in the temple. And then Mary brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. Yeah, I, I tell you, I can fry students on questions they can't answer. But uh, the, the, the temple shows up a lot, and, and Jesus had a lot to say about it. But we need to do a little study on the temple, and that's the part you're going to get here that we will never have time for on Sunday. On Sunday, I'll be able to say there were sanctuaries and tabernacles. There was the temple that Solomon built. There was the temple that was rebuilt after the Babylonian exile. And then there was the temple that Herod built and the Romans tore it down. That's about all I'm going to have time for on Sunday. But here we're going to get to do a little bit of a deep dive. What was the purpose of the temple? Now, I'll go all the way back to... The wilderness wanderings. So, so Moses left Egypt, and God told him to construct a tabernacle. 
Now, even before the tabernacle was something the Bible calls sanctuaries. And sanctuaries were sort of places of worship, altars that were constructed. We know that Abraham uh, constructed an altar at Dan. Uh, those of us who went to Israel when we were up in the, the north at Caesarea Philippi and at the Dan Nature Preserve, we saw the, the altar that is uh, uh, that was built uh, when Abraham first came into the promised land. So it's 6,000 years old. Um, we uh, saw altars that were built in, in different places. Well, those were uh, sanctuaries. Those were places of worship, but they weren't necessarily places of tabernacle or temple worship. And I want to talk about the, the difference um, between that. Um, so um, let's go all the way back. Why not? Um, let me go to my notes. And again, there's a whole paper online on temples, tabernacles, and synagogues. And I obsessed on this for about four hours uh, today. So just please get it and enjoy it. Uh, during the time of Moses, worship was done in a portable sanctuary called a tabernacle. Now, the design for the tabernacle was very, very specific. It was very ornate. It was uh, the instructions for that are very detailed. Exodus 25 through 30, very detailed plans. So before Moses' time, they would throw up an altar. They would worship. Maybe they would sacrifice. But it was more of a private sort of thing. It was... It was uh, a family or an individual, and and the Bible is uh, um, is complementary towards individual prayer and individual worship, but when we involve the temple in our worship, and I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you this now and at the end, it's always about community. It, it's always about the the nation gathering, the faith community gathering, the clans gathering, the families gathering. Uh, temple worship or tabernacle worship always has the element of uh, community. So um, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, is referred to about 130 times in the Old Testament. And that's where we really get the emergence of what would become temple worship. Now, your Bible is not necessarily laid out chronologically, but pretty much. So Exodus was before the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was before the time of the kings. And the time of the kings was before the time of the divided nation. And the divided nation was before the time of the captivity or the exile. So so we're traveling through history, and the, the place of worship was a big deal. Now, again, I probably forgot to say this a minute ago. We're dealing with the temple because during Holy Week, during the last week that Jesus was alive on the earth, he went there every day. He went there. Uh, Luke 19 tells us he he taught daily in the temple. So all the places that he went in Jerusalem during the last week of his life, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, he went to the temple almost, if not every day. And so the temple, we would be tempted to say that the temple is just a place of sacrifices. And, and that's archaic because Christ was our sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We don't need to think about sacrifices and, and temple worship and rituals and this many, the, the, the tent curtain that divided the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. All of that went away with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that's true. But Jesus never did away in his worship with the temple 
And so we, we, we need to talk about why he thought it was so important to go there during the last week of his life. So back to the history. Before Moses, sanctuaries, small localized altars. When Moses started the wilderness trek, he was given very specific instructions because God knew they were going to be there for a while. And so the tabernacle was a portable sanctuary built to very detailed specifications that are laid out in Exodus. During the time of the judges, the tabernacle was no longer moved from place to place. You remember during the time of the judges, Moses' leadership gave way to Joshua. Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land. They, they defeated the armies in the promised land. And now uh, they are setting up more permanent worship sites. Now, there were two cities that were sort of primary for worship prior to King David, Shechem and Shiloh. Shiloh was north of Jerusalem. Shechem was a little bit west of Jerusalem. But the tabernacle actually stayed in Shiloh for 369 years. We're not talking about just a cup of coffee. Uh, so Shechem and Shiloh were extremely important as the centers of Israelite worship prior to King David, who had it in his mind that he wanted to build a permanent version of, guess what? The tabernacle. The temple was built almost exactly like the tabernacle because the tabernacle was thought to be a, uh, a representation of the throne room of God. And so the, the instructions that Moses was given in Exodus were thought to be the, uh, uh, the layout, so to speak, of the throne room of God in heaven. So we want to imitate that on earth. And in Exodus, they just moved it around as God told them to move, following the fire by night, the smoke by day, Wherever he told them to stop, they set up the tabernacle. So let's talk about what happened in the tabernacle. Then we'll move to the temple. Can you think of the things that were uh, laid out in Leviticus that were supposed to happen as part of the corporate worship of the Israelites? There were seven different kinds of offerings. There were burnt offerings and there were uh, atonement offerings. And there were so, so then there was a difference between an offering and a sacrifice. What would be the difference between those two? Blood. Uh, an offering could be a grain or a gift. Uh, and, and they went back and forth, uh, sometimes calling them sacrifices. But we need to understand the temple in light of what would happen during Passion Week, because a sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. Now, uh, I want to get to a place in my notes because it, I listed all the the sacrifices that were part of the um, the rituals. Um, there were. Um, Burnt offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, drink offerings. Different combinations of these categories were used for different instances. Consecrations of priests, a Nazarite vow, cleansing of a leper, person defiled with a sickness, woman giving birth, jealousy, uh, sin, trespass supplementary offerings every day every sabbath every month every feast every consecration every dedication there were offerings and or sacrifices at one point in the old testament it said that the priests would sacrifice every morning in case you'd sinned during the night and they would sacrifice every evening in case you'd sin during the day. 
So there was a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice offered twice a day in the tabernacle for the atonement for the sins of the nation. Now, I don't want to be impolite, and I hope that you're not either recently having had dinner or you are about to. They did not anesthetize these animals. They dragged them to the altar and they butchered them on the spot. Blood spurted everywhere. The, the bawling and pain of these animals, the, it, it, was, it was designed so that the starkness of sin, what it cost to atone for sin, was visible from the whole congregation. It wasn't meant to be pretty. You were meant to, to struggle with the fact that that animal, innocent animal, just gave its life for your sin, for your offering, for your whatever, for your atonement. It was meant for you to struggle with what you were watching. And so for us to try to clean it all up and say, oh, they had sacrifices at the temple. The, the priests would have been just covered with, the hearts were still beating when they killed these animals. And so it was not pretty. But I've just planted in your head a little bit of what it cost when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Because that was our sin offering. It wasn't meant to be pretty. It was agonizing. If you read uh, T.B. Maston, no, T.D. Hunt's description of the crucifixion in the, the book, The Mind of Christ, it is an absolutely gruesome picture. And it was meant to be because God is serious about sin. And so the tabernacle was a place of these offerings, the altar, the mercy seat in the tabernacle was uh, there were some other furnishings. The Ark of the Covenant was there. You remember that in the Ark of the Covenant were the tablets, the staff of uh, Aaron and the um, jar of manna. Uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was lost somewhere um, after it got to Jerusalem um, there were battles even after the temple was established, uh, after the place of worship was established. Remember that even though David set up his palace in Jerusalem, he was not allowed to build the temple there. So a little more history about the temple. There were three temples that were built in Jerusalem, permanent tabernacles. Once David conquered Jerusalem. He conquered the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, Salem, it was called at the time. And when Salem was conquered, David decided to move the religious seat of Israel to Jerusalem. The city of David, the city on a hill. But God told David, because you have shed blood, you are not the one to build my temple. So David got to build his palace, and it was magnificent according to the description in Scripture. But Solomon, David's son, was told to build the temple. And so what is called the first temple, or Solomon's temple, was built in Jerusalem during the reign of King Solomon. It was magnificent. It was built on the specifications that David laid out. Uh, materials were procured from foreign kings and so forth. And so Solomon built the temple. When was that temple destroyed? Anybody? 8078. Nah. Eh. The first temple. Oh. 587. When the Babylonians defeated the southern kingdom and they exiled Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, all of the Jewish, the Hebrew children were exiled to Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He did not want the city of Jerusalem to be a stronghold that could rise up against him. So he deported anybody that had any sense. 
or gifts or artistry or leadership, and he destroyed the city. So the first temple lasted from Solomon to 587 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, destroyed it. Solomon would have been about 900. Um, Solomon, the first temple was completed in 957 BC. Pulled that out of my notes. 957 BC. All right. So when was the second temple started? 70 years after it was destroyed. Because when King Cyrus, the pagan Persian king, gave Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, he gave them permission to come out of exile and go back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is all about rebuilding the city wall. Ezra is all about rebuilding the temple. So the second temple, the one that was to rebuild the one Nebuchadnezzar destroyed, it started uh, being rebuilt um, 70 years after the deportation. So um, you probably figure 516, somewhere in there. Uh, remember, it goes backwards before Christ. So 516 B.C., the second temple. Um, now, between then and when Bill was talking about, the temple kind of had some fits and starts. Sacrifices went on there unbroken. So they continued to sacrifice, even though the temple wasn't fully rebuilt. So over 400 years, the Gentile rulers would attack Jerusalem and tear the temple down, and then somebody would rebuild it, and they'd attack and tear it down. But sacrifices were offered in the temple in Jerusalem for those 400 years. And then along about 54 B.C., who is in charge now? The Romans. The Romans have installed Herod as a client king. He's a puppet king. He's just an extension of the Romans. He's not really a Jew. So Herod was an Edomite. Guess where he was probably born? Those of you who went with us to Israel and Jordan, knowing that Jordan is the former Edomite uh, stronghold, Herod was probably born in Petra. He was probably born in the Jordanian Petra, which was then an Edomite stronghold. Uh, Herod's uh, mother was a Nabataean princess. His father was an uh, Edumean king. And so Herod had some royalty in him, but the Romans tapped him to be the puppet king and moved him to Jerusalem. Well, Herod was trying to curry favor and keep the peace because you remember that the Romans' primary objective was peace, Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so if the peace wasn't being kept, you didn't keep your job if it was your job to keep the peace. And so Herod decided to pacify the Jews by embarking on all these building projects. So he built theaters and he built a, a, a hippodrome that was just like the one in Rome. The, um, the Circus Maximus in Rome uh, had, a, had a, a miniature version of it in Jerusalem. He built aqueducts and uh, theaters and bridges and roads, and he built them a temple. Herod's major contribution and the second temple is more commonly called Herod's temple than Zerubbabel or Ezra. 
It's like that 400 years never happened. And when Herod began to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, he went big. So he leveled what we now call the Temple Mount into basically 35 acres of pavement. So 35 paved acres. The temple didn't take up all that much of it. But, but oh, interestingly, because there was a law in Jewish ritual that the temple couldn't be larger than Solomon's temple. And so the temple itself was roughly the same size as Solomon's temple, but all of the courtyards and the uh, porticos and the gates and the, uh, the chambers around it were Herod's, and it took up the entire Temple Mount, the flat area on top of Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered to sacrifice Isaac. That's where the Temple Mount is. And so Herod the Great leveled all of that, paved the whole thing, had 18,000 hired or enslaved workers, and he built the Jews a temple complex that was magnificent. It faced the east. Um, I'll, I'll show you some pictures of it Sunday, but the... The front door of the temple that faced the east was sometimes called the beautiful gate. Uh, there was also a gate in the city that was called the beautiful gate. Both of them faced the east and the prophecy from Zephaniah is that Jesus will come back through the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate in the city is the one the Muslims walled up with concrete. But the temple has never been dug up the jews would never permit archaeology in the temple they would never permit the the sacred temple grounds to be torn up and herod built a magnificent temple and by jesus's time that temple was fully operational that's where he was dedicated that's where he was prophesied that's where the sacrifices took place in jerusalem that's where people had to bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem. Now, what happened if they didn't have one to bring? They had to buy one. And where would they do that? Where would they buy it? In the courtyard of the Gentiles, which was one of the courtyards that Herod built, where sacrifices that were certified acceptable by the priests go figure because <laughs> if you got to jerusalem with a blemished lamb as the priests would say blemished you had to buy one and so if you didn't have a dove or a lamb or a ram or a heifer you could buy them from the sacrifice salesman that set up shop in the court of the gentiles why is that significant because Jesus was having none of it. Money you, you also had to change your money too, right? Right, because your temple money. tax had to be paid in the currency of Jerusalem. Yeah, if you're online, you can't hear Greg uh, Hackney. He said that uh, there was also a place where money was exchanged. Also a place where you could convert your local currency to the currency that was acceptable to pay the temple tax in Jerusalem. And so, oh yeah, the exchange rate was brutal. And, uh, and Jesus was having none of it. And so when we get to our scripture this week, that's what this scripture is about. So it's time I got to the scripture. Enough of the history lesson. There were sanctuaries, then tabernacles, then the first temple, and then the second temple, and the second temple was completely destroyed, built by the Romans mm -hmm. in 70 AD. So 30. I was only 700 years old. Oh. Yep. Well, <laughs> Jesus predicted that no stone would be left standing. Do you know why that prophecy was true? Because the Romans destroyed the temple by setting fire to it. And they didn't even plunder it before they set fire to it. So all the gold 
that was both built into the temple itself and that was part of the temple furnishings melted into the cracks of the stone and the Roman soldiers tore it apart to get at the gold. And so Jesus's prophecy that no stone would be left standing. If you are, uh, when we walk to the ramp, the stairway that takes us to the temple mount, we pass by the rubble that was thrown off of the temple mount uh, by the Romans in 70 AD. We can still see those gigantic stones piled against the the western wall as we approach the the egress to the Temple Mount. Anybody remember those? All right, you're going to have to go back with me. May of 2023, going back to Israel. So by Jesus's time, the temple was standing fully operational. It had none of the Shekinah glory of the tabernacle. It had none of the, uh, the, the feeling of the presence of God. You know, the temple was supposed to be a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, a place for community, a place for teaching. That, that's what it was supposed to be. It, it, had, it had morphed a little bit. The tabernacle was only worship and sacrifice. Okay, there was, in, as you look in Exodus in the wilderness, the tabernacle was about sacrifice, worship, and especially one kind of worship, which was done one day a year, the Day of Atonement. So the innermost part of the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. The innermost part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. One day a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Um, and that was behind the, the, the curtain in the temple. Now, the tabernacle was pretty modest compared to the temple. They say that the uh, the enclosure that housed the Holy of Holies was 80 feet tall. If you look at a diagram of the temple or the model of the temple that is uh, at the uh, Israel Museum, uh, it's at uh, Shrine of the, the Shrine of the Book, the, uh, the, the museum in Jerusalem is dedicated to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, you pass through a courtyard that has a, uh, a miniature model of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus's time. And you can see the temple uh, complex with a, uh, it, it almost looks like a, a theater, you know, uh, like our, our theaters for musical theater today. They have a real tall section of it for them to fly the curtains and the scenery and all that. Well, the curtain hung down from that place. So the temple curtain was at least 40 feet tall, if not all the way to the ceiling. It separated the Holy of Holies from the place in the temple. Now, the temple was very layered. So like I said, Jesus went into the court of the Gentiles, which was adjacent to the court of the women, which was adjacent to the court of the Israelites. The court of the Israelites was only for Jewish men who were ceremonially clean. And so it was a layered participation in worship. Even today, when you go to Jerusalem, the only part of the temple, uh, the original temple mount, the original temple that exists is the western wall of the temple complex. It's today called the Wailing Wall. And the uh, you can go online and see a, a wailing wall camera. They have one on it 24 hours a day. And the faithful Jews, especially the Orthodox Jews, assemble there around the clock. And they stuff prayers in the cracks of the stone. There's a, uh, a partition down the uh, roughly two-thirds of the way, and the women are on the right of that partition, and the men are on the left as you look at it. Um, it's, it's magnificent. 
you do feel the Shekinah glory of the Lord when you're there. It is that sacred a space. But by Jesus's time, the temple was where the Pharisees met. It's where uh, civic meetings took place. It was where sacrifices took place for sure. But it's almost like the temple had become so casual they didn't even think about the sacrifices anymore. They didn't even think about the worship anymore. They didn't think about the presence of God anymore. It's almost as like they came into church on Sunday morning with sort of a thought of, let's get this over with. I sure am glad that never happens today. <laughs> well, for them, it was the Sabbath. It was Saturday. For us, it's Sunday. Okay, so let's flash forward. Let's go ahead. Um, you can get all the notes on the temple from Betsy if you want them. Uh, you can get the harmony of the events of Holy Week from Betsy if you want them. Um, last week, we talked about Bethany and how Jesus arrived in Bethany either on Thursday or Friday prior to Palm Sunday. So uh, John's account that we looked at Sunday said it was six days until the Passover. And we know that he was crucified on Friday and had to be taken down from the cross by 6 p.m. on Friday when the Passover would begin. So whenever the Bethany story of Mary and the anointment of his feet took place, that was six days before the Passover which would mark it on either Saturday or Friday, depending on how you look at the dates. So well, and it was really interesting Sunday. I had never known before that Bethany was two miles away from the temple. And that's the reason Jesus said it was against the law to walk more than two miles. That was an interesting right. fact you threw in there. Thank you for doing that. Right. Uh, Nancy reminded us of uh, Sunday. We talked about the proximity that both the villages of Bethany and Bethpage those are the two villages that are mentioned in, in the Gospels when it talks about that, that when Jesus told the disciples to go get a donkey, he was in the villages of Bethany or Bethpage. Both were two miles, so they were right together. Um, but I didn't know you couldn't walk more than two miles or he couldn't have been going back and forth on the Sabbath. Right. And, of course, a if, as some people think, the Passover was that week that the, the that the uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was also that week. There would have been two Sabbaths that week. And so he would have he had to go back and forth. Um, and so it had to be close enough. So obviously. Saturday night was spent in Bethany. And then in on Sunday morning. Jesus started for the city of Jerusalem. As he started down the Mount of Olives, the crowd began to gather his anticipated arrival. He'd sort of stayed on the down low in, in Bethany. He'd sort of stayed among friends. But once he emerged, the Sabbath was over. Uh, on Sunday, he started for Jerusalem. Now, idle speculation. So don't put any stock in what I'm about to say other than it's a random tidbit that I remember. Some people who arrange the timeline think that he went directly from Jericho to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Bethany. John is the one that tells us Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not put the, the, the stop in Bethany in their account. They have him going straight to Jerusalem. So, so in their account, it feels like he goes straight from calling Zacchaeus out of the tree in, in Jericho up a road that would take eight hours to walk and straight into the city of Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. That doesn't make any sense. The, it makes more sense to include John's stop in Bethany because the, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem would take eight hours to walk. Uh, it's, it's only 13, 14 miles, but it, 
it's a lot of switchbacks and it goes up in elevation 3,000 feet. So uh, it would have taken Jesus several hours to walk it. Likely he went straight. Maybe he checked in in Jerusalem, could even have chased the money changers out of the temple on uh, Friday morning before Passover. Uh, because that's when they would have been in full sales mode uh, because you had to have a proper sacrifice for the Passover sacrifice. But I think it's more likely that he went to Bethany. And then on Sunday, he came into Jerusalem and likely went directly to the temple. So on the day after the Sabbath, especially if it was a Yom Kippur, especially if it was the Day of Atonement, Passover week, right? If it was that that special week, if it wasn't just the Sabbath, but the Passover, then I said that wrong. They would have had two Sabbaths during Passover week. Passover was Yom Kippur. That was the, the week of celebration. So the sales would have been in full swing by Sunday of Passover week as people arrived into town, being able to travel on a Sunday uh, as they arrived into town, especially in the evening, the sacrifice salesman would have been in full sales mode. Now let's go to the scripture. Got 10 minutes to go to the scripture. So Let's start in Luke's version of uh, the, the the text. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41. When he drew near. So this is the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jerusalem was a special place for Jesus. He understood the the significance of King David establishing the spiritual center, the presence of God, God's promise to bless the holy city. When when every time I drive into Jerusalem, I weep. Every time. I've been in Jerusalem seven times and I, I six times and I weep every time I go in because you can sense the holiness of the city. I don't know if any of you have been to Jerusalem, but I don't know how you can go there without a sense of the holiness that's there. Go to the Wailing Wall, you're going to be a mess. All of us are. So you you get a sense of it. Jesus wept over the city, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Remember John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He, he said that to the disciples in, in the, the last week of his life. You remember John's gospel? Everything from John 12 on is the last week of his life. So John 16, 33, he says, I have come for peace. I've come for peace, peace between man and God, peace between men and men. So then he says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade all around you, the Romans, and they will hem you in on every side. The Romans destroyed the temple because they were tired of Jewish militia groups. The, 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 the guerrilla groups of Jews would not ever admit that the Romans controlled the city. So they just attacked them. They attacked legions. They attacked cities. They attacked storehouses. And, and the Romans under Titus, the general Titus, they'd had enough of it. So they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the zealots. They destroyed the rebellion in 70 AD. They hemmed them in on every side. They tore it to the ground. No stone was left standing on another because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
you have let the temple, you have let Jerusalem, you have let your worship, you have let your your spiritual life be so neglected that you've forgotten that in the temple is sacrifice, in the temple is community, in the temple is atonement, in the temple is uh, instruction. And you've forgotten all that. The temple was a symbol. That's why I wanted to handle it. The temple is a symbol for everything that goes wrong in the life of a Christian. The temple was empty of God's glory because they took it for granted. When we stroll into church with an attitude of, let's just get this performance over with, and we don't engage, that's, uh, you know, and I can rail against online church, I can, but I'm not going to. Uh, but we are even more tempted to be casual at home than we are at church. Because it's that, it's that casual approach. It's not what you wear. It's not whether you're in your pajamas or whether you're in a tux at church. It's, it's, the, it's the, the, the clothing of your heart. Folding laundry while you're watching it. Yeah, or, you know, you're texting while you're mm-hmm. sitting in the worship center. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's the clothing of the heart. It doesn't matter whether you have a, a suit on or jeans. It's the clothing of the heart when you come into the place of worship. I happen to do better when I'm at church than when I'm at home. But there are lots of people who have figured out how to do it at home. But it's about the the clothing of the heart. So verse 45. He entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. We're going to read two more verses and then we're going to leap over to Mark. And he was teaching daily in the temple. He thought it was important enough to go there every day during Holy Week. The chief priest, the scribes, the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they couldn't find anything they could do for the people were hanging on every word. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples and said, go into the village. Immediately you will find a colt. You know the story here. So the triumphal entry, he came riding on a colt that had never been ridden. Uh, This was uh, prophesied. On the way, the scripture says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, look at verse 12. So he, he entered the temple, he looked around, he went back to Bethany. That's why some people think that he came straight from Jericho, triumphal entry, looked around, went back to Bethany and slept. Verse 11, he, it was late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Matthew, Mark, Luke seem to give us the indication that maybe he came from Jericho, went straight into Bethany. I I just, I was straight into Jerusalem. Anyway, on the following day, verse 12, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree, he cursed it. I'll deal with that in a different sermon. Verse 15, they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple He began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. Now, Mark gives us a detail that Luke didn't give us. He overturned the temple tables. Luke uh, uh, didn't give us the violence that was involved. But Jesus was not a happy rabbi. And so he turned over the tables of the money changers. That would have been the people that Greg talked about the people that converted currency to the temple currency and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So he chased all these people out of the temple. And then he gives another detail and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Not only had they reduced it to 
the court of the Gentiles be in this place where sacrifices are sold and money was changed. It was basically a shortcut. I don't want to go all the way around this 35-acre deal. I'm going to go right through the middle of it. If I'm driving a FedEx truck, if I'm uh, hauling a cart, if I've got vegetables, if I've got whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right through the middle of the temple because it's a shortcut. He said, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So, so Mark gives us another detail that the temple had become so casual. It, it's like, let me go sit in the sanctuary because the Wi-Fi is better. It, it was just a, a it, he, he, Jesus was attacking the way we approached worship and the temple was symbolic of worship. What is the temple for? Worship, sacrifice, community, prayer. He says, you've turned a house of prayer into a house of robbers. Interestingly enough, and this is uh, one of the ways we know that it was in the court of the Gentiles. In verse 17, he says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Mm -hmm. um, at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, adjacent to the Garden of Gethsemane, is a magnificent church called the Church of All Nations. And it is, it is a, a, a church that's designed to receive anybody and everybody. You don't need to be Jewish to go in there. You don't need to cover your head to go in there. It's a church of all nations. And that, that idea comes from, from here. He said, my father's house will be a house for all the nations, but you've made it into a den of robbers. The chief priests, the scribes heard it. They were seeking a way to destroy him. So, it is speculated on our timeline that on Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went back to Bethany. On Monday, he came and cleared the temple. So he went to the temple every day, but it is speculated because of this passage in Mark and one like it in Matthew that he entered the city on Sunday went back to Bethany to spend the night, came back to the temple on Monday, and that's when he chased the money changers out. All right, so what? Who cares? Gotten a great history lesson on the first, second. Did I talk about the third temple? No. Third temple? No, that was 2.5. Yes and no. In Christian circles, exactly right what Gary said. He said that it, according to 1 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he said, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Uh, by then, the, the temple worship had been so corrupted. Jesus, uh, by the time Paul wrote that letter, uh, Jesus had been crucified. He had predicted the fall of the temple. The temple was not yet destroyed during Paul's time. Paul died in probably 68 AD, and the temple was destroyed in 70. And trivia for anybody, the Roman Colosseum was built in 72 as a diversion for the unrest in Rome that uh, was in no small part because of the expense of fighting a battle and occupying the Middle East trivia you didn't care about but paul would say based on what jesus said he said the 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 sacrifice has been done once and for all christ our passover 
has sacrificed for us. Come, let us join the feast, Scripture says. So Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, on Friday of this week, there was no longer a need for temple worship. When Jesus was crucified, that 40-foot curtain tore in two from top to bottom, meaning that there was no longer a separation between God and man. Jesus had bridged that gap. So Paul would write to the Corinthians, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I saw a meme this week that said, if my body is a temple, I must be a megachurch. <laughs> Just leave that where it is. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. However, there was, there is in Jewish eschatology, the, the eschatology is the, the thinking about last things. How will the world come to an end? The Jews actually think that a third temple will be built in Jerusalem. And if you've been to Jerusalem, there is a ginormous menorah that's under a glass case that a group of Jewish people who just got a little cocky said, we're going to go ahead and build the menorah to specification for the third temple. And they built it and it's in Jerusalem. You can, you'll see it when you go there. Yeah. Nelson. That is the apocalypse, the apocalypse, the, the Christianity. Of course, the Jews don't care anything about revelation. But the uh, the, the apocalyptic third temple is the one that comes from heaven in Jerusalem. Uh, most people think that's symbolic. Um, I won't argue one way or another. The New Jerusalem is wherever God's going to decide the New Jerusalem is. But uh, Paul was very adamant to say, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. On Sunday, I'll go into it a little bit. That's that's one of the most misused scriptures that we have. We've used it to say you don't get a tattoo. Don't pierce anything. Don't be overweight. Don't be underweight. Don't your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that. You, you should dress up to come to church. You should never dress up to come to church. You should, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it has been used to shame uh, people about their bodies. How can you get so whatever? Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And none of that could be farther from the truth. And it borders on spiritual abuse. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit because God inhabits the praises of his people. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit because Jesus comes into us. He fills us up from the inside out. And it's, it's no more talking about our external than what clothes you wear are important when you go to church. It is now... I get we have generational divides on what you ought to wear when you go to church. Let's not get into that. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit refers to Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. He indwells us. He pushes from the inside out. And Paul was writing specifically to the Corinthians about sexual immorality. And he said, when you allow your body to take place, to take part in sexual immorality, then, then you are letting your body be controlled by something that's not the Holy Spirit. Don't you know your body is where the Holy Spirit lives? So the temple is a place of worship and sacrifice and prayer and offering and fellowship and community, and instruction. The reason we visit the temple on the way to the tomb is that sometimes we need to be reminded of how we are to be 
in an attitude of worship, even with the place that he has given us to worship. All right. I told you I was going to finish on time. I didn't even get close. (laughs) So Gary's got another hour and 20 minute podcast. That is the benefit of Wednesday night. You'll hear none of this on Sunday morning. We'll try to think of some other things to say.